Welcome to True Mysteries, Stories of the Strange and Unexplained. I'm your host, Kit Crum. And before I turn the microphone back over to Ray Ruckus and his uh, adventures into, uh, I guess he's, you know, you're going to take him into the round schoolhouse, Ray? Uh, yeah, Kit, that's right. Uh, into the round schoolhouse in search of the doorway to the fourth dimension. But you've got something to give away on Friday, I understand. Yeah, that's right. I will be giving away 25 copies of my book, Project Deepwater. And I'm letting you know right now that uh, when I start doing this, all you'll have to do is contact me at kitkcrum at gmail.com. Tell me you want a copy of this book, Project Deepwater. It's a thriller, and I will send you a code via email and instructions how to use it to get a free audio version of that. And with that, it's up to you to take them into the round schoolhouse, Ray. Thank you, Kit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, my experience was really fantastic. Going through the forest, seeing the shadow people, uh, the structure that came into sight was definitely round. Any windows had been broken out long ago, leaving empty sills that looked to be uh, five by three feet. And if you were listening before, you understand that I had circled this round schoolhouse, kind of taking it all in. And uh, there have been paranormal investigators there. I mean, this was a spooky place, and it looked spooky, and it was in a spooky forest. So here we go. My experience once I entered the haunted round schoolhouse on Hokkaido Island was extraordinary and beyond my wildest expectations. It, uh, it took me about an hour and a half to actually reach the round schoolhouse. I walked through a doorless opening and immediately felt a change in the gravitational pull as in less gravity. I felt lighter, nothing but a feeling though. When I walked toward the first door, that would be I think on my right, again I was struck by the lack of graffiti. Now I could hear my heartbeat. You know, like when you climb into bed and heads on the pillow and your ears pick up what appears to be your heartbeat. Well, I also got a slight adrenaline rush tugging on the fight or flight reflex. I made note and opened the door, and there was a door there, which was a little surprising. I was confronted by nothing. <laughs> well, that's true. It was an empty room. <laughs> Through uh, When I moved down the hall to the next door, the sound of my heart and the adrenaline rush were up a notch, and from the corner of my eye, I saw one of the shadow people. Now, I'm no shrinking violet. I turned to face the shadow, and I explained that I was looking for Professor Shimada. Now, remember, the whole thing that got me here was my martial arts instructor, Sensei, had called me and sent me in search of his father. Well, I got no response from the shadow person when I explained my reason for being there, so I turned back to the door. There was a shadow person on either side of the door. No matter, I pushed through the door or a doorway, and there it was just like the Japanese investigators of the supernatural had said. In the middle of the wall, on my left, there was what I could only describe as a glowing, rippling opening. The glow was around the edges. It was a rippling effect that gave me the impression that when I entered, I'd be passing through time. Now, it could be just something in my head. Anyway, I stepped to the middle of the room and immediately felt pulled toward the opening. It was uh, as though I had a rope tied around my upper torso and that someone or something on the other side of the opening was pulling. Of course, there was no rope, only a sensation. I took two cautious steps toward the opening and the pull increased. I wanted to pass through the opening under my own power and not be yanked through by some invisible force. 
I brought my hand up in front of my face, moving it from side to side and easily followed without moving my head. It shows my eyes are functioning. Then I snapped my fingers, made sure I was mentally acknowledging the sound. I felt pretty mentally together, convinced that I was mentally intact. I shuffled, kind of a shuffle step up to the opening and extended a hand into the rippling image that was the opening. It was all I could do not to topple in, but I managed to step through. The feeling of being pulled immediately vanished. But when I looked over my shoulder, I discovered that the opening had vanished too. When I looked back, there was a half circle of the shadow people, and not three feet in front of me was a short, bespectacled Asian man. He smiled and introduced himself as Hiro Shimada without moving his lips. I informed him that his son had asked me to find his father and that he needed to come with me. At the moment of that statement, I realized that I had not moved my lips and also that I was not blinking. When I held my hand up, it appeared as a shadow silhouette, and that's when I became concerned for my own safety. Shimada reached into a pocket and produced a gold pocket watch, closed the distance between us, took my hand, my shadow hand, and pressed the watch into my palm, then stepped back. I watched, slightly light-headed, as he backed between two of the shadow people and faded to black, a black silhouette that disappeared. My light-headedness turned into a brownout. You know, it's where the edges of your vision seem to close in, and that's what was happening. Not wanting to fall, I stepped back, thinking I'd put my back against the wall so I could control a slow descent to the floor. But as I fought to retain my vision, I watched as the shadow people closed a circle around me. Hands reached out, and I suddenly felt light, like if I weren't careful, I might float away. Then I felt the firmness of the floor against the back of my heels. Then my butt and shoulder and finally my head seemed to touch something. Although the floor felt supportive, it also felt soft, like I was laying on a giant ball of cotton. My breathing became labored. Images around me blurred and I couldn't collect my thoughts. I closed my eyes. I became aware of a presence surrounding me and words I couldn't understand. Then in clipped English, someone asked if I was okay. I opened my eyes to the group of students that had told me that I could reach the schoolhouse by lunchtime. In Pigeon English, I was informed that I had tripped over something fallen and hit my head. Ha! With several hands supporting my back, I managed to sit up. The same spokeswoman for the group, who seemed to have the best English, asked where I was staying. I told her I was fine. I had a room at Hotel Bajico and they chatted among themselves to help me to my feet and walked me the four blocks to the hotel and safely to my door. The spokeswoman from the group followed me in, talking on her cell phone the entire time. She pocketed her phone and smiled until I sat and told me a doctor would come to see me who speaks English. I was greatly, greatly relieved. Uh, somehow I had the presence of mind to hold up one finger indicating that I wanted her to wait a moment. I pulled the envelope from beneath the futon, pulled out Japanese currency equal to about $100 and pressed it into her hand, despite her protest. Then she was gone and I was alone. I ran the impressions of going through the woods and encountering the shadow people and then stepping through a rippling glow in a doorway. It all ran through my head like a, a tape over and over again. Shimada and the group of shadow people, the whole business. As soon as I felt a little more steady, I planned on retracing my steps. It all seemed dreamlike, and I wanted to get past that feeling. 
I reflexively glanced at my watch and was shocked. It was just 8.30. This couldn't be. I had walked the trail for almost an hour and a half. Well, and that had just taken me through to the round schoolhouse. I was brought around by a light knock at the door. Then it opened and a small man entered. He bowed. I waved him to the chair next to me where I was sitting. Long story short, he told me that I was lucky to have fallen and lost consciousness rather than going through the forest to the round schoolhouse from which many people did not return. I explained how I had ventured through the woods, where I encountered the shadow people and then entered the schoolhouse. He smiled as I spoke, as if I were a small child telling a tale. He shook his head and said that he had talked to the student that had directed me to the trailhead, and then found me less than an hour later, and that it would have been impossible for me to reach the schoolhouse and return in that short period of time. I was thunderstruck by all of this. He then ignored my chattering questions and examined the bump on my head, gave me an ocular test, pronounced me hale and hearty, although not in those words, and then he left. Now I was really confused. When I stood at the door, I noticed something in my front pocket of the jeans I was wearing. Leaning against the door, I pushed my right hand into the jean pocket, and I pulled out a gold pocket watch. Yes, the same one given me by Mr. Shimada. Well, I was still getting over the time slip I experienced at Japan's haunted round schoolhouse while looking for my sensei's father, who I found, but preferred to remain in what I believed was the fourth dimension. And even though my flight to Japan's island of Hokkaido, as well as my room and board were paid for, I still had to make a living. That meant putting together a story, a story I could sell to a network. Area 51 was always good for a rehash, and my research had come up with what was referred to as the Nevada Triangle. If I could put together what I call front money, I'd be able to hire a freelance camera crew. The ability to present an edited story increased the odds that network would pick it up and pick me up, perhaps. Anyway, I was in a tiny lobby of the motel I'd been staying in, or Hotel Shika. When I was approached by the manager, who identified herself with a bow and handed me a note. I bowed and thanked her in one of the few Japanese words I was sure of. It was in an envelope, the note was, with my name inked. In beautiful script, I looped the double straps of my oversized gym bag. I traveled pretty light, and I walked outside of the hotel, and I sat on a tree stump I'd noticed in the sun. Boy, I felt good. I ripped open the envelope, wondering who knew I was in Japan. The note started out, You're a hard man to find. I assume you're still freelancing stories of the strange and unexplained. I'm currently producing a documentary about Pirate Island. Pre-production indicated to me that there was a curse keeping locals off the island, so I'll be bringing in production crew from South Africa. My sponsor said they wanted me to bring in an expert on pirate ghosts, curses, and such, and I thought of you. All expenses paid. Call me if you're still alive. 867-5309. Calvin Ritter. Shit. <laughs> Well, that's the next story. Kit, I uh, hope you've enjoyed sitting here listening to me chatter away. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. Yeah, I've had a few things to do here in the studio. And one of the things I want to remind listeners of is, yes, I will be giving away books, uh, audio books at the uh, Friday, the end of this week. Today is Tuesday. Hope you keep listening. Ray's going to take us to Pirate Island. Is that correct, Ray? Yeah, yeah, it's a heck of a story, kid. I actually got away with some doubloons, but we'll keep that for tomorrow's story. Okay, that sounds great. 
And I hope you keep listening out there because Ray's going to take you to Pirate Island. I believe that's just off of Madagascar and is a real place. And I'll be giving away audiobooks to Project Deep Water on Friday. All you have to do is go to kitkcrum at gmail.com and tell me you want to cop a free copy of an audiobook of Project Deep Water. And I'll be sending them out Friday, 25, first come, first serve. This is Kit Crum and Ray Ruckus. <laughs> Thanks for listening.